Hey Tubes, it's Zoe here. Why are people feeling left out of the sustainable fashion movement? Thanks so much. You are listening to Hey Tubes, where we are figuring out, can we save the planet, but make it fashion, our two loves. We're also your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon, and the founders of Tubes, a footwear label that cares about stuff. We care about all the stuff. Do we care about too much stuff? I don't know. That's for someone else to say, not for us to say, I feel. True. We're here to answer a different question today, which is, Why are people feeling left out of the sustainable fashion movement? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Oh my gosh. I love this question so much. I love this question because I genuinely do not know the answer to it. Yeah. And see, this kind of came about following on a conversation that we had with Maggie Zhao way earlier on in this podcast journey. The title was, is sustainable fashion only for rich people? And if you haven't listened, definitely encourage you to go check it out. But after we recorded that idea that was about exploring elitism within sustainable fashion, we started discussing how it didn't just apply to money. It also felt like the conversation was much bigger and there are a lot of other pockets of people that are feeling left out of this movement. See, and it's a funny thing and I think the reason I don't know the answer to this question is because we are women who wear size A clothing and we have money to spend So we don't necessarily feel excluded. Hope you don't hate us for saying that. No, but it feels like it's good to be honest. And we want to be totally truthful about our position in this conversation. And we're very aware that a lot of people are different to us and that a lot of people do feel excluded. And this podcast is all about learning and asking questions, which is why we are chatting about this today. Mm, And I feel like it tubes... We do try really hard to make things super inclusive and include everyone, but ultimately we absolutely fall short. And we're going to start with a story because we love a story. I love a story. I'm going to take you back to, mm, I want to say 2016, late 2016. Yeah, we just launched Tubes. Earlier in that year. And Steph and I were on a startup program. We were the only women on that program. There were about eight other startups there, all run by males. And the startup program culminated in a pitch night where we had put together this speech where we pitched our little hearts out for some investment or for some people to get involved in our business. And at the time, Steph and I were talking a lot about tubes, 
being the antidote to men telling us that we need to wear heels. It was like anti-patriarchy. That was what was really getting us going in our business. And it was also anti like all of the other women-focused brands that felt really exclusive. Like fashion was super exclusive then and we were the total opposite of that. We were the inclusive brand. Yeah, and there was a guy there that I knew who listened to the pitch and then – a couple of days later, actually reached out to me on Facebook. And I just remember reading the message. He had taken so much time. Like it, it wasn't just a message. It was like, you know, probably upwards of 400 words, I want to say. So like it was hefty. And he took- It was a hefty <laughs> message. It ta- probably only fit in like seven different messages. <laughs> He'd taken the time to write to me about the different ways he felt like we were proclaiming that we were being inclusive and ways that he felt we were being exclusive. Why do I not remember this? So maybe because I tried to bury it way down deep at the time. So things that he listed was about how we are white presenting women and we have a certain body type. And when he goes on Instagram and looks at it, he doesn't see anyone that doesn't look like us. He said that there are no trans people wearing our shoes. He says that as a gay man, he feels left out of the conversation. And I think that at the time I was so not ready to receive that feedback that I actually didn't respond and I'm so ashamed like I thought I responded in a really defensive way but it wasn't until this morning that I went back and looked that I've actually realized I didn't even respond oh I hate that feeling of when I haven't responded to somebody for like three weeks so I can't even imagine you haven't responded to this guy in six years yeah right but it's funny because I've seen him so many times since then and we've never talked about it I'm definitely going to bring it up with him now but I think that I wasn't ready to take on what he was trying to tell me but wait can I just clarify what he was trying to tell you because as a gay man he was saying he didn't feel included but weren't we talking about a women's footwear brand He was talking about like, I'm anti-patriarchy too and you were really peddling that. It was much less about him and much more about the fact that trans people being left out of the conversation, that people of colour, that people of different body types, like he was just grouping it all in together saying like you're presenting one ideal of what it is to be included but you're not really like including anyone outside of yourself. Mm, Isn't that so interesting how far we've come in six years because I feel like at the time those were so not things that were in our awareness Mm. and I feel like as oh. evident by the fact that I didn't even respond to him. Like yeah. I was obviously read it, was like, ugh, he's wrong. And then just, Or maybe you were just so overwhelmed by it that you were like, oh, I don't even know where to begin with this. I wasn't. I remember feeling like, but look at all these other things that we are doing and why yeah. is he focusing on all the negatives? And that is like an opinion that I no longer have because if he came to me with that, I would now sit down and listen. But I have 2022 ears on. I don't have... My 2016 is. Well, it's also interesting because it's like we have now come so far that we are so conscious that we do need to be inclusive of everyone. And just like to play devil's advocate here as a small brand, I feel like we spoke about this with Erica Gerrards recently on this podcast. 
are we meant to be catering to everybody? Like, is it okay that as a small brand, we only cater to certain people? I guess maybe his problem with it was that we were saying we were inclusive and we weren't genuinely being inclusive of everybody. But like, is that okay? Do we have to be? I don't know. I'm so conflicted about these things. Like, I don't want anyone ever to feel excluded. And at the same time, we can't cater to everybody, particularly as a small brand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I feel like this is the portion where we go into a total tailspin and go around in like (laughs) thousand circles. So this is probably the perfect time to phone a friend who no doubt is going to have a lot of brilliant opinions on this. So the friend we're calling today is Denny Todorovich. They are an incredible fashion stylist. They're also the host of a podcast on the Mamma Mia network called What Are You Wearing? And we have known Denny since the very beginning of the How to Live days in 2012. Stick around to the end of this chat with Denny because we're going to tell you the really funny story about how we met. But right now, let's call Denny. Hey, Denny. Hello. We're so happy to be chatting to you today. Ditto. Our oldest HTL friend from back <laughs> I know, in the day. I know. <laughs> so the question we're tackling today is why are people feeling left out of the sustainable fashion movement? Mm. And we wanted to start by asking you, who do you feel like the sustainable fashion movement is leaving out? I think the most obvious one is the working class, even like middle class people who sit within that sort of the either the lower socioeconomic um, community or maybe they're sort of just like somewhere in the middle. Really, when you look at the trajectory of sustainability, even like the word organic, when we look in the food space um, and, and the wellness space, you know, when, when I hear the word organic, I think of Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop and, you know, not to be rude, but like rich, white, thin women who are, you know, <laughs> putting like jade crystals where crystals have never been before and, buy, you know, <laughs> buying this obscure milk and all of that sort of stuff. So, Uh-oh, Denny, are you describing us? <laughs> <laughs> Which is exactly why we want you here. Exactly. Okay. Well, why we look, want to be having you know, this conversation. Fact to facts. So I think that essentially the way that movements are often marketed can leave other people feeling excluded from a narrative. Like if you look at high end fashion, it excludes the lower class always. So where sustainability falls under that same umbrella to me is that, well, sustainable fashion is often marketed in a way that feels like it's, you know, you have to buy from like a sustainable brand or you have to buy from something that is like ethically produced and, you know, all of that stuff on a surface level when you don't actually know the sort of ins and outs of that movement seem really unattainable. You know, just recently I did a Q&A on my Instagram and one of my audience members was like, it's all well and good to shop sustainable if you have the money, but like I just have $20 to shop at Kmart and I want to buy something cute to wear on the weekend. So like where do I fit into that, right? So I think from a working class, lower socioeconomic vibe, that to me is the first group of people that I think are excluded from this narrative because when you feel excluded for something, you don't even want to learn about it, right? It's like being queer. Like that's why we have so much pushback from straight people because they don't even want to learn or or even spare a thought for what this lived experience is like. Similarly, if sustainability is painted in a way that feels super unattainable, it's actually, it actually then becomes scary for other people to even want to step into that pond because they're like, where, where does one even begin? 
Does My mind goes to a few places as well when I'm hearing you talk, which is like, mm. oh, sustainable fashion has a PR problem. Yeah. Like, because maybe the high fashion peeps are trying to keep it in that little small mm. elite group. But I think like I want to believe at the core of the sustainable fashion movement is like, oi, climate change is happening mm -hmm. and like we all need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And then by creating this elite idea of what sustainable fashion is it's like it's not helping the cause like no. if anything it's hindering it you know mm. what i mean do you know what else it reminds me of is the way like mcdonald's and really shitty food targets the lower exactly socioeconomic right, group because it's cheap and then it's like bad for their bodies mm. and it's like keeping a lot of those people obese and unhealthy and they can't necessarily afford medical care so it's like this horrible loop and it's kind of like the same thing it's mm. like that the fast fashion is kind of like exploiting that group of people because they know they can get away with it they know that these people have to be mm. buying things at this lower price point so they're like well whatever we can just keep exploiting our workers exploiting the planet and mm. creating this cheap shit and we know these people are going to have to buy it from us yeah very that and you know what i think is really interesting as we're talking so to me really when you strip away all of the pr and marketing sustainable lifestyle really at its roots, has a very grassroots, almost hippie origin, right? I, I don't know if people use that word anymore, but when I was a teenager, certainly it was used in my house. So, you know, it was that very kind of like, I don't know, Mullumbimby kind of Byron maybe when it before it was so commercial vibe of like these people who walk around with no shoes and they're, you know, they're wearing some kind of like tie-dyed scenario and they're probably smoking there's weed a lot and of hemp. whatever. There's right? a lot there's of, a hemp lot and of hemp. Yep, exactly yeah. right. So that was the origin of sustainability and kind of living off the land and all of that sort of vibe. But typically, as we know, fashion is so good at jumping onto something that is very pure in its nature and like turning it into this money-making machine, you know? Yeah. And so I think that somewhere along the lines, we, we've actually lost the root of what it means to be sustainable because it's really had this like well, it's not really, not even really a glow up because it's like it's been glowed up so much that people are too scared to even embrace it. And by the way, I'm really happy that I'm here because I myself sit somewhere on the periphery of that because as someone who, and I know we'll talk about this in a second, but as someone who has worked in fashion for 12 years, who loves fashion, who loves a bargain, who often works with brands like Kmart and H&M, it can be really tricky and my sort of moral compass and my consciousness is, is in constant battle because, yeah, it's just really tricky because fashion is so instinctive for me. So, like, I just want to wear that thing and then maybe, like, uh, 24 hours later, I'm like, oh, wait a second, did I really need to buy that extra thing? You know, so it's, it's such a big conversation. It's kind of like climate change, you know. It's such a huge conversation. Yeah, I just want to say about what you're talking about, Byron, firstly. I don't know if you know that I live in Byron now. Um, oh, I've, I've, I, I think I've seen this. Yes, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't post on socials anymore, so like mm. nobody really knows that. But I moved mm. there a couple of years ago, been living mm. there. And I think what you touched on is so interesting because I think that the Byron lifestyle is about like living off the earth or the Mullumbimby lifestyle, as you say mm. now more. But I think really what it is, is it's the First Nations people of Australia yep. that were really living in a fully sustainable way. And they mm -hmm. were truly living off the earth. And I think it's what the hippie kind of lifestyle is about, is about getting back to that. And it's mm -hmm. just to mention that like, you know, we have just come in, like the white people have come in and just like completely like, you know, taken away from everything and they were living in a way that is so harmonious with nature. Exactly and right. now all the exploitation and everything is just like 
so, so problematic. So I think we really need First Nations leadership as well and to be looking at them and having strong voices in those communities to guide us on how we can Mm -hmm. be more sustainable because they have the answers and we come in thinking we have all these answers, but really a lot of the time we're the ones who've created the problems. 100%. And I think what you touched on there couldn't be more spot on because when you also think about the question of who's being left out of this movement, it's minority groups, it's people of colour, it's diverse bodies. That's something I hear a lot. I actually saw this um, TikTok video last night. It showed me this um, video of this really clever American TikTok creator who makes these like porridge things. And then as she's making the porridge, she's talking about like fast fashion and how bad it is. The video was about Shein or Shein, I don't even know how to pronounce it. And we call it Shein, but yeah, I, but Shein. I, I did Google the other day and it is called Shein. Right, okay. Oh. Yeah, that because it, it used to be called Shein something uh, and now they've shortened oh, it to good Shein. To know, good to know. So basically all the comments under that were like, you know, I'm a plus size gal and Shein just caters to my size, so sorry about it. And I really empathise with those comments because, you know, sometimes you don't, I mean, there's always another option, but short of getting out a you know sewing machine um, and making your own clothes, like a beautiful creator, Katie Parrott, that I know does often, like really the accessibility for a plus size person doesn't exist currently within the sustainable fashion movement. Yeah, I think that's another thing. Minority groups and, and making it accessible is another reason why it's got such bad PR, as you said. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely been a really interesting journey for us. Like Mm. we started Tubes with this idea of like, we want to make cool fashion as accessible as possible. Like our very first Tubes cost $59 and $79. We were like, we want it to be on everybody for everybody. Mm. And then like the reality of running the brand, even before we took on like all this environmental stuff was like, oh my goodness, like we have to be buying so many shoes in order to be able to sell them that cheap Mm. because that's the way that the production system is set up. Mm -hmm. And then as we've pulled in all of these like sustainable things into our business, again, like our prices are going up hugely and Mm. we're like, we don't really want to pass these on to the customer. But it is just like a really interesting pull and push of like, we want to do good, Mm -hmm. but we need people to afford it. Mm -hmm. Because like, as you say, like what we've talked about so much is that if only the elite can really afford or are ready to take on sustainable fashion, like is it sustainable if like the working class and the minority groups aren't actually able to buy it? I don't think that it is. Like if the 1% is able to buy it and 99% isn't, like we're not going to do shit for the environment if that's the only people that are buying into this idea. Because currently the way the landscape sits is that the only accessible and affordable way to be a sustainable consumer is to thrift or to, you know, shop in op shops. Now, even with that, I recently, because we do live in a very cancel culture kind of environment, right? And I remember seeing something on TikTok again, which I think has been incredible for the sustainable fashion movement, um, of a girl who was like in LA and she was like thrifting. She's kind of taking people along on her thrifting journey. And some of the comments were like, you know, Thrifting is not supposed to be people like you. Thrifting is supposed to be for people who can't afford to buy clothes in new stores. Because I remember as a kid, 
op shopping, especially in the ethnic community, was really frowned upon. It was something that we always said, like, only the Aussies do, like, because we'd be too embarrassed to say that we're wearing used clothes. Like, my mum still to this day will never buy anything used because she thinks oh, it's like... such an interesting yeah, insight. Yeah, she, thinks, like it's like dirt, she thinks it's like dirty or yuck or, you know. So I remember one time I had this cool wog auntie and she was like the op shopper in our cult community and she she's babysit me and we'd go op shopping with her, but she would literally say, like, don't tell anyone that we've come to the Salvos kind of thing. Like, this is a secret. And she would buy furniture and clothing and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is so dope. So, and she did it to save money. By the way, she could afford to buy anything she wanted, but she did it to save money. She was doing it to be frugal. Now we live in this world where it's like trendy to thrift. And, you know, if you go into Brunswick or wherever and you go down to like Savers or all of those kinds of shops, it's like the coolest of cool people are in there and they're all shopping up a storm. So even on that, to that merit, is that then okay? You know, it's like there's so many loopholes and I think it all just becomes so tricky and we almost, we need to simplify it because really, if you think about it, how can we make sustainable shopping uh, accessible? And so I, um, and obviously I'm not working with them currently, so this is completely like an unsponsored thing for me to say, but Kmart as an example, they have like, uh, they're adding sustainability pillars within their business. Now I know there's lots of conversations that would argue against greenwashing and like how sustainable is this thing actually but I, what I question, and I wonder what your thoughts are on this, is like, will we ever get to a point where there is a, sh- a store that is as accessible and as affordable as a Kmart that is sustainable and ethical? Because if we can't, then I don't think consumers will, I don't think there will ever completely be the flip that, mm, yeah. that the sustainable fashion movement wants. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Totally. We have so many opinions on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure you do. <laughs> this is well, exactly what we wanted to mm. talk about. Well, I would then like counter that mm. to say that isn't it okay if like the person down the street can only afford Kmart yes. and shopping at Kmart? I'm so glad but, you said that. I was <laughs> But but, but okay. do they need to buy three mm. pairs of jeans per season just because they're going for $10 a pop mm. or whatever, however much they are. And I think that that's where there gets a really mm. murky line with what you talk about, like cancel culture. It's like, mm. you know, because I am not sitting here saying I don't want Kmart to exist anymore because like all you bitches should be able to afford what I can. No, mm. no, no. But are we all able to adopt these principles where something mm. can be sold at a cheap price and we don't need to overconsume it? Yes, and I think yes, that yes, that's yes, yes. where like the gray area is because mm-hmm. like we don't need to update our bedroom every season with whatever mm. like the hottest color is today. We mm. should own what we have in our bedroom and then like leave it there before mm. we need to update our things. Because just to say like some of the things that I wear now and, and like wear all the time and get got complimented on the other day are from like Zara mm-hmm. and Forever 21 or oh, Forever if New. If you I treat them nicely, oh. they yeah. will stay nice for a long time. Exactly. Like often it doesn't – I think Shein is a different one because their model is like so horrendous and if you mm. actually look into it, they have – no visibility themselves over who's even making their things because they ha- they're trying to make things like every week as the trends come out so they have yeah. to subcontract and subcontract and subcontract yep. to factories 
But I do definitely think that there is some merit in if these things are good quality, they can last for many, many years if you treat them nicely, if you mm-hmm. wash them better and all of these things. Mm. I think what is so interesting to take it back in a full loop though is isn't it the elite – and the big fashion houses that are sending us these messages in the first place that we need to have newness all the time. And then it's kind of like then putting it on the people who can't even afford it in the first place. Mm. Yeah, then we're saying to them, hey, you should have all the latest trends, but hey, don't be buying so much stuff. You Mm. know, it's kind of like all of these mixed messages that we're sending when you're talking about this plus size person that was saying she can only shop at Shein. Mm. Why should we be saying to her, well you should be up shopping. You should be Correct. taking more time out of your day and up shopping. And then why are we saying to the person that can only afford Kmart, but you should only be buying one. If mm-hmm. I can afford nicer things and more sustainable things, I can buy lots of them, but you no, should but only you buy one. No, but you can also only buy one. I know, but I just think that's not the message that we're getting from society. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, you're right, you're right. We're not there yet. And what I'm interested to know from you, Denny, is because you do so much play in this really fun really fabulous fashion space that for us we used to love that stuff now we like barely leave our houses i live in byron i'm in like beige all the time yeah but i want to like i'll put that on record like i still love that stuff Mm. totally it gets us off when we started watching and just like that we really got back into wearing beautiful things but it got us into this conundrum of we want to wear beautiful things Mm. we want to buy new things but we also don't want to so i'm just interested to hear your take on it like what would it take for somebody like you Mm. to move more into the environmental fashion space? I think it's a few things. I think it is so spot on to what you said earlier about the fact that consumption and overconsumption is really what the issue is. And I think that uh, to answer what you said before about the fashion gods, I almost think that So fashion traditionally used to sit in this really like structured seasonal calendar of like autumn, winter and summer and spring. I actually think social media is to blame for the way that fashion has skipped leaps and bounds because fashion as a system has to evolve with technology. So technology, I think, is technology and social structures are in many ways. Um, in many ways, the reasons to blame because fashion designers are burning out at a rapid rate. That's why like Nicola Gasquier left Louis Vuitton. That's why John Galliano and so many other people end up with cocaine addictions and they're here and there and everywhere. And they're like dropping like flies. Alexander McQueen killed himself because of the unsustainable nature of the way that he was supposed to be this like designer designing like 40 collections every year. So that's a huge conversation piece there. I think for me, as someone who consumes this fashion, who loves looking at the high end, who loves looking at the TikTok girlies and, you know, TV shows and Sex and the City comes out and then suddenly I want everything that Carrie's wearing in the new reboot and whatever, right? (laughs) It's really tricky. So I think for me to go full circle, what I try to think about is consumption. And I will be super honest and, you know, all you have to do is scroll through my TikTok to see that, like, I am at a point in my life now where there are for sure more new things that I'm buying than I would have like say a year ago because my schedule is like event here thing there speaking engagement there but I will say when I buy things I wear them I thrash them till they're dead like I remember hearing Karl Lagerfeld say that you should treat couture like it is from H&M you should wear it till it's like dead to the ground because that's that's a good 
like a good worth of your money, good spend of your money. Yeah, rather than having it right? hanging in your and wardrobe doing nothing. and you wear it one time. I do think, though, that sustainable fashion is in my mind green and beige and hip, hip, like hemp and linen and a bit of a snooze fest. So for someone who is such a maximalist, it's kind of like, hmm, wouldn't it be cool to have a brand that catered to all tastes? So again, it's like who's sustainable fashion ignoring? Is it ignoring, you know, maximalists and people with different style aesthetics or is it only catering to that like Gwyneth Paltrow aesthetic? I don't know. You know? Mm, yeah. Even just like hearing you say that, I feel like it gets my fashion blood going. Go. Like I can feel it. It's like mm. glitter in my veins. Mm. And like tubes used to cater to a maximalist aesthetic. It's so major. And then, you know, we had this huge like internal crisis of like what the hell are we doing mm. and like what are we contributing to the environment? And our solution was like to go back to like basics because you won't get sick of them. True. And like I am a maximalist mm. but I can tell you that like – You're a closeted my, maximalist. My three years ago like glitter sneakers that I own, like I vomit when I look at them. Like even though they're still fabulous mm. – I have worn them. I'm sick of them. Mm. I want something new. But mm. like, does that same thing happen with a white shirt, the khaki jacket, or whatever it is? You know, and 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 it's not to say that's wrong, but it mm. it is kind of like there's this push pull nature of mm. it where I don't I don't know where those two things collide. Mm. Yeah, I feel like some solutions that I'm hearing coming out of this conversation is one, we need some more maximalist environmentally focused brands how does that happen is it like like we said like when we've designed things like that in the past it's like well are they just going to go in and out of people's wardrobes too quickly so Mm. we need them done in like a clever way that it's Mm. like maximalist but also something you're going to keep for a long time so the faux fur sleeves button off (laughs) 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 that's somebody's problem to deal with if somebody's listening and Mm. has been looking for a great business idea maybe that's it the other thing i'm thinking is like the sharing you know the wardrobe sharing the way that we don't own love certain things in our lives. You know, we get Ubers, so we don't need to like own the taxi. We mm. just the taxi takes us around when we need it. Mm. I'm like, do we not need to own these maximalist pieces? Mm. Have you rented before, Denny? Okay, so never for myself, but for my when I used to be a stylist all the time. And it's something yeah. it's something I've actually looked at a lot lately for myself now that I wear dresses and things. But um, I find renting to be really tricky with sizes. They don't tend to offer, you know, I wear totally. like I'm between a 14 and a 16 in like women's sizing. So it caters more to like a size 8 to 10 kind of market. Um, Which isn't that an interesting thing mm-hmm. to touch on when we're talking mm-hmm. about this question. Yep. It's like size exclusive. Again, yeah. Well, I feel like Jess the other day hired from, uh, rented from Ooh, a rental it's website. Designer X. Oh, cool. And it was renting from other people's wardrobes, which is mm. kind of cool. And I feel like maybe somebody needs to create, I'm getting my entrepreneurial hat yeah, on now. Yeah. I'm just like solving all the problems. I feel like someone needs to create an app where you're kind of connected with mm. people that are like you and people that have a similar style, body shape, everything. Mm. And then within that, you can share your clothes. Because imagine like Jessica and I, Mm. we have always shared all of our clothes. Mm. Imagine if that wardrobe was shared with 30 other people as well who were similar to us. Mm -hmm. Isn't that way more sustainable? Then we wouldn't have 
300, 500, whatever it is, pieces hanging in our wardrobe right now mm. with like literally nothing to do with them, mm. we would have that shared amongst way mm. more people. Mm. Well, it's funny because I think that when we're teenagers, I'm getting like high school flashbacks, even early 20s. Uh, girls especially are so good at like sharing each other's clothes when they go to a party or you have like 321st back to back right and there's always like the the swapping the switching and I almost think that as we've gotten older we've reverted into this thing of like well no I'm a grown up now like a girl messaged me yesterday and she's like I need a dress for my 30th birthday my budget's like $800 and I was I said to her why wouldn't you just hire it because you're probably not going to wear that dress again like so A it's cheaper for you B it's more sustainable I think the whole sharing thing is such a cool idea and I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on because I see a huge rise in things like Depop now and all of these sorts of like apparently eBay's on the comeback and all of this kind of jazz because I think again that's another really cool way to shop sustainably right because it's it's pre-loved you're not throwing new things into the ocean and stuff like that but I again I just feel it's like all of these things need to somehow be communicated and made more accessible to like, mm. as, as we used to always say in Cosmo, our reader, we used to call her Betty from Bankstown. So how is Betty from Bankstown going to be able to take one nugget out of a conversation like this and go, okay, I can do this to be more sustainable. So I think that is my answer always. Cause I get hounded every time I do a Q and a, you know, and, and I put my hand up and I say, I'm fucking not perfect at all. And I, I understand that it's a really tricky place where I sit because I love fashion like in such a addictive way, which is, you know, probably not quite right. There's something not quite right with me, but I just love it so much and I love consuming it. But it's like my whole thing with life in general is about trying to find everyday solutions. Like if you make one small change and then like if a million people make one small change, that's like a million layers of change, you know? So if I can be more sustainable, from like taking a keep cup to the cafe instead of not. How can I do that in a way that, you know, comes back to clothing? I don't know. I just keep coming back to that idea of the overconsumption. Mm. And like if if someone was to come to me and say what was one thing that I could do, I would say like, oh, next time you like want to buy something, just like sit with it for a sec. Mm. Like how many times have you bought something? Like I have all the time, Mm. literally probably every time I've bought something Mm. and I get so carried away. And in my mind, I in like the five second flash between the time I see it Mm. and the time I buy it, I think of a million and one places I'm going to wear it. I think of all the people that are going (laughs) to see me there. I think of all the things I'm going to do in it. Like I already own it Mm. in my mind. And so I just buy it. And then two days later, I don't give a shit. I already imagined it. Mm. So it already happened. It's Mm. not fun anymore. Mm. And then I regret the purchase. Mm. It's like how many times do we put things in our wardrobe that we – that we really didn't need to. Mm. I impulse bought a dog collar for my dog the other day and it's hideous and I hate it, but I'm too ashamed to take it off him. So now he's walking around in a really ugly collar. <laughs> <laughs> so I have this rule that any big ticket item, so like really anything over the value of like say $500, um, I will leave it in my shopping cart overnight. Like I'm not an impulsive shopper when it comes to Uh, anything that's expensive. I leave it in my shopping cart. I think about it. I think about it. I think about it. And it takes me a really long time before I pull the trigger. But I will say I have no issues with going into Zara and spending $500 at once on like 20 things. 
Yeah. I'm, I, Isn't that Zara's a real, difference? it's like a drug. Zara is a drug. I walk into that store and the way it's all merchandised and especially if you go to like a flagship Zara store, the bright lights and everything, and it becomes like a game. And I'm just like, what can it's I like find? It's like a casino. It's like a fucking us. casino. <laughs> Thank God you and I have never gone shopping together because <laughs> I feel like we would just tear shit up. Zara used to be my place. Like I would go there. I would be so excited. That's like I'm going there this weekend and I'm buying so much stuff and I would literally be high in the change room you, from it. Same. You guys, I feel, like we, I feel like we need a shopaholic trigger warning on this episode because I feel like people are just going to go out and splurge honestly, after this. Honestly, honestly. No, no. Think uh, about your purchase. Well, we yeah. do. We Jess and I created a little two-minute meditation that you can find somewhere buried on our Instagram to do. If you are in the midst of a shopping frenzy, just go to the change room. That's close fucking your eyes, genius. Pause for a moment and Take just a really do the the equivalent of sleeping on it when it's in your online mm. cart. You just need to take a moment, take a breath, feel into yourself. You're already whether you don't need anything to complete you. And then do you still want it? Not do you need it? Mm. I mean, should it be the other way around? Not sure. <laughs> so I feel like we've got a wrap right now because otherwise we're going to have <laughs> – We've got so forever. much juice. Well, but it's just so too much juicy. Goodness. Yeah, I, I feel like we need to have you on a million times again uh, if you're down for it because yeah. I think that like – I wanted to talk to you about so much and mm. we've obviously only like talked about this very small amount, but yeah. you are such a multifaceted person. So uh, more thank please. You. <laughs> thank you. Anytime. And also thank you for making this conversation like not scary and like not uh, judgy in a way, I guess, because I, I do think that sometimes this space can feel, as we said, like super intimidating. And I was very intimidated when I saw those questions because of how <laughs> sort of imperfect I am in these ways. But it's such a learning process, right? So I'm so oh, glad and, that we And have just to like say, because it, it needs to be said, you care about so much and you are a champion for so many unbelievable uh, things and we are so in awe of you and this world needs you uh, so you. much and standing up for the things that you do so none of us are perfect and no. right. we're all just out here trying and here trying. you're incredible and we love that you're up for this conversation and uh, learning and sharing thanks angels hey tubes i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Okay, so as promised, we are going to wrap up with the story of how we actually first met Denny. So we'll take you back to Paris 2012. It was September. It was Fashion Week, our very first year of blogging. We had convinced some Australian designers to dress us even though we had no one reading our blog and no followers on Instagram. I think there was some Photoshop involved in the follower reader numbers at that point. And we are rocking up to shows at Fashion Week. Are we invited to shows at Fashion Week? No, we are not. Nah, we're not. We're just rocking up 
Where oh, we, we got invited to one show because we literally emailed every single designer to be like, hi, we have a blog. We're coming to Fashion Week. We would love to come to your show. We got a single invite. We asked for standing room and they wouldn't even give us that. Standing room is like, you know, you have row A, like the front row. Then you have the second row, then the third row, fourth row, fifth row, sixth row. And then you have standing room at the back. We weren't even there. We were just outside. We were not invited. Prancing around the shows. So we would like find out on the schedule, which wasn't that easy to find, by the way. You had to like text people in the know, find out where and when the shows were going to be on and then rock up outside them. We would literally act like we were going into the show. We would be dressed to the nines. Do people say that anymore? I don't know if I've ever said that before. (laughs) People definitely don't say that anymore. And we would rock up as if we were going into the show. We would get paparazzi. People would take our photos. Oh, who are you? What are you wearing? And then when everyone was photographing someone else, we'd be like, okay, quickly, run away, run away. Run away and we'd go sit in Starbucks until <laughs> the end of the show and we'd act like Have we attended. We'd even Google photos of the show and then write a wrap-up on our blog as oh if we God. were actually sitting at the show. This is embarrassing, you guys. This has turned into a confessions of a things we've done. Wait, aren't we talking about Denny? Where does Denny come into this story? Denny we definitely comes you. into this story. Okay, so we see Denny around and they are another Australian accent. They are another blogger. And we're just like, who is this person? And they came up to us and they were like, hey girls, you're Ozzy, I'm Ozzy. Like, what's up? And they were like- They gave us their card, style by Denny. They gave us a card, style by Denny. They just started their blog. We just started our blog. So, and also you can tell they are just super, super lovely and warm and friendly. Straight from the get go. And we were all babies, like full blown babies. Yeah, you were like 18 at the time or something. Yeah, 19. And so one day after seeing them around a couple of times, we rock up outside the Chanel show, which is at this super exclusive venue just off the Champs Elysees. And we're there in our like matching two sets. Do you remember? Nasty gal. Nasty gal. Who wears nasty gal to a Chanel show? So who has those were fabulous outfits and we should post a photo of those outfits in our Facebook group. We definitely will do that. So one of us was in a denim two piece. Yeah. Purple printed denim. Uh, We still have it. And then the other one was in a yellow two piece, yellow denim jeans and then yellow like cut out shoulder matching top. Blazer. Blazer. Matching blazer. And we got there and we were armed with our SLR camera that we had bought to make ourselves look like bloggers. And we go to take photos of ourselves. And oh my God, we forgot our SD card. (sighs) But Denny's there. And Denny is so kind. We only knew them for like, I don't know, two days at this point. Not even. Like we hadn't hung out other than just bumping into them at shows. And they were like, oh my God, I have an extra SD card. Do you want to take it? So they literally gave us an SD card, which was just the sweetest thing ever. And not only that, they were like, watch this. I'm going to create a frenzy around you guys. And all oh my of God, the way that they said it was so like a frenzy <laughs> as well. So yeah, they started just like click, click, clicking, like taking photos of us, jumping around us, like getting all these photos and making it really frantic. And all of a sudden, all the photographers were crowded around us and everybody was like, oh, these girls must be a big deal. Everybody was taking all these photos. And then we just ran off giggling with the SD card that Denny had given us and a lot of amazing photos. So that was our first real encounter with Denny and it was all just on the up from there. They are such a generous, 
awesome, wonderful human being. And it's been pretty cool. We've gotten to watch each other's careers over the years. And now we get to podcast chat together. Yeah. And they create amazing content. And like Steph said in the chat, they care about so much stuff. And it's not necessarily that they're a climate activist, but they're definitely an activist for so many things. So highly encourage you to go and give them a follow and check out all their amazing stuff. At Style by Denny. That is it from us today. It's all we have time for. Thank you so much for listening. We would love you to help us spread the word about this podcast thingy that we're trying to get going. Please share it with your friend, rate us five stars, maybe even leave us a review. Thank you so much. We love you. See you later. Bye. Thank you so much to our podcast producer, Amelia Navasquez, our podcast coordinator, Bianca Whitner, and a big thank you to King Cora and Lily3PO for creating our incredible theme song. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record, the Boonarong, Boonwarang, and Wurundjeri Woolwurrung peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation and the Arakwal people of the Bunjalung Nation. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging.